founding pastor in St. Petersburg. And we want him to take his liberty this morning, get behind him. Let's just let the Lord have his way in this place. Let's put our hands together and make Brother Ballesteros welcome this morning. Amen. God bless you, Brother Ballesteros. Praise the Lord, everyone. The psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Let's just exalt his name one more time. Whether through the clapping of your hands or the raising of your hands to heaven, let's invite his presence into this place today. Jesus, you're worthy of the praise and the honor and the glory. We love you today. We thank you, God. We're so glad that we know who you are. We're glad that you died for us, and we bless your name today. Hallelujah. What an honor it is today to be in the presence of the Lord, to be in the house of the Lord, and to be able to enjoy the good fellowship and the preaching of the Word of God. I'm so glad today to know uh, the people that I know and to be a part of the fellowship that I'm a part of. I want to give honor to my district superintendent, Brother Williams, and my district secretary, Brother Varnum, and my presbyter, Brother James Wolf. And I'm so thankful for all of the things that they have done uh, in my life and believing in my wife and myself. And God has blessed us. We moved to Florida a little over five years ago, five and a half years ago. So we're still what you might call newcomers, but we're so blessed to be a part of this district. And um, since moving here, God's blessed us with two more children. We came with a child that was under one, and now we have three children, and blessed us with a home and a church that we love. And I feel rich today, feel rich to know the God that I know, to know the people that I know, and I feel blessed. I got up here and forgot a watch, and that can be kind of dangerous. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 17. I remember when I was working on staff at a particular church, and the pastor said, you had 30 minutes this Sunday morning to preach your message. For whatever reason, I forgot that he had said that, but just as fate would have it, he said, you sat down at 29 and a half minutes. And so thank you. Now today, I'm not going to take any more time than I'm allowed here today. And I just want to make sure of that. Exodus chapter number 17. I want to begin reading the latter part of verse number 7. In fact, the last phrase of verse number 7 of Exodus 17. It simply says, is the Lord among us or not? Verse 8, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the, with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomforted Amalek 
and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And I want to preach a message that I felt laid on my heart several weeks ago. Brother Arnold referred to it at the conclusion of his teaching yesterday. And I've been blessed by every message that has come over this pulpit this week. And I just want to simply, I want to preach a message entitled, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Would you put your Bibles down and let's just ask the blessing of the Lord on the remainder of this service. Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I need you. I can do nothing without you. God, I am nothing without you. But today, God, I just pray that you would anoint my lips, that I may inspire your people with the word of God. I pray that your body would be edified today, that your people would be lifted up and increased. I pray, Lord, that you would be increased in this place, that you would let the anointing of God rest upon the words that are spoken here today, that you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to believe. Give us a mind to receive what you have today. I pray that you would be glorified today. I pray that you would be magnified in this place. And for that, we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory, because, Jesus, you are worthy of all the praise. Let's put our hands together one more time, and let's just thank the Lord. God bless you, and you may be seated. It is important to notice how early in human history that God teaches us and shows us how we ought to treat one another. That from the beginning of the writings of Scripture, we began to see that there is a way that God has for His people. And He begins to tell us things like it's not good for man to be alone. He begins to show us that there are things that we must do in this life. No man is an island unto himself. And we began to understand that if we are going to have a ministry, and if we are going to do a work for God, we are going to have to learn how to live together and love each other and work together in unity. The scripture writings declare in the New Testament in Second John, said, I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. And so from the very beginning of time, we find that we are to walk in God's commandments, that he has told us that we ought to love one another. I began to read and I find that in Exodus chapter 20, as we began to read the 10 commandments, we find that six out of the 10 relate how to treat my brother. The first four are talking about how we ought to treat God. But the last six are referring how I treat my brother, my brother's, my brother's substance, my brother's wife, how I interact with him. Thou shalt not kill. All of these things are outlined for us in the writing of Scripture. And as we began to see them, we began to understand that we must first, we must first love God with all of our heart, 
with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. But it doesn't stop there because there are some people I know they seem to love God, but they cannot interact with other people. And I just pray that God would give us in this hour an old-fashioned baptism of how we ought to not only love God, but how we ought to love and to treat one another. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so I began to see that everything hangs on these two commandments. That I would love God with all of my heart. And that I would love my neighbor as myself. I can't. There's no prophecy that gets bigger than love. There's no law that's bigger than love. But everything hangs on the simple fact that I would love the Lord thy God with all my heart. And I would love my neighbor as myself. There is no question today that there can be no separation between loving my God and loving my neighbor. And I will never get so close to God that I hate and despise his people or I hate and despise people. How I treat my fellow brother many times is a good indicator of my relationship with God. And I just came today to preach to somebody to tell you that if we're going to have revival in this hour, that we must learn how to love people. I don't have the answers to everything, but I do know that God must put a love within our heart for not only him, but for one another. And why is it so important that I love my brother? Why is it so important that I love you and walk in unity with you? Because man is made in the image of God. And I believe that it is though God is saying, how can you love me and despise that which is made in my image? For if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he hath loveth his brother, not his brother whom he hath seen. How can he love God whom he hath not seen? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so today I've come to preach in this short time to tell you that love is a key that will bring unity. And love is a key that will bring about victory in our life. It is that love that we need to possess because we have the doctrine. We have the truth. We have the fellowship of the brethren. And when we come into unity, then I believe we can have an outpouring of the Spirit like we've never seen before. I was challenged by something that they said, Brother Tecla Marion said. He said, we never pray for revival. We just pray for unity. We pray that we would all be on the same page. And I pray today that I would be able to be in unity with my leaders and to be in unity with my brethren, that I may see a revival in my own life. When I get out of unity and out from under spiritual authority, it comes to my life that I'm not blessed. It comes to my life that I personally don't see revival and I want to do something in this life for God. I may not, and I'm not in competition with anyone else. I may not do what you're doing, but I want to have the blessing of God on my life. I want the anointing of God on my life. And so I must learn to love my brother. And it is this very thing that we call love that the devil loves to attack in our life. The enemy would love to destroy God's people 
and the love that they have for one another. We got a lot of foolishness going on in the body of Christ. And people are rebuking devils out of cars and houses and chairs and all of these inanimate objects when they need to learn that, that the devil needs a body to accomplish his purpose. And we need to find simply the thing that would bring about a key. And it is that love expresses the very attitude of God. Love expresses the very thing that will bring about unity in our life. For if you will show me someone that loves, I will show you a man or a woman that God can use. If you will show me someone who is hateful, I will show you someone that the devil is already using. Someone that the devil will use as a tool to bring about discord and disunity. I don't know anything that you're going through today. I'm just in my city trying to work for God. But this one thing that I felt impressed on my heart today was to say that we must be a church of unity. We must be a church that loves one another. We must be a church that stands behind one another, that prays for one another, that fasts for one another, and that pushes for the things of God. Because the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. No matter what the church presses up against, the gates of hell cannot stand. And the only way that the enemy would destroy the church is not from the outside, but from the inside. He would love to get among us and cause disunity. He would love to get among us and cause discord. And so I say today that there's nothing worth losing your salvation over. There's nothing worth losing a revival in your church over. But I must learn to love you like I would love myself. Treat you like I would treat my blood brother. I've learned this thing in life that every person I see is a man or a woman that Jesus died for. Every man that I see, no matter the color of his skin, no matter the, 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 the ethnic background, that's a man or a woman that Jesus died for. And so I've learned that when God blesses you, then I'm going to rejoice. And when you weep, then I weep. Because I must be of the same mind with you. And I must also learn to love those that are around me. If we could ever learn to rejoice when others rejoice and are blessed. For when I'm blessed, you ought to rejoice. And when you're blessed, I ought to rejoice. And I rejoice when God does something in you. Because I know that God can do the same thing in me. That he is no respecter of persons. And so when God does it for you, it's an indicator that it can also happen in my own life. And so I began to see in our text today that the enemy comes and he wants to attack people while they're in the wilderness. The enemy comes. In fact, that enemy many times can be, it can be a twofold enemy. It can be the enemy from without or it can be the enemy in a me. It can be that at many times what we call the devil really is just flesh. We like to get spooky about some things, but some things are just flesh. And so if whether it's the enemy that you are facing, I like what one of the ministers said the other day. He said, the devil hasn't had time maybe to even meet all of you. What you're dealing with are his spirits or his imps. And so we began to see that the enemy in a me can many times hinder me from getting to the promises of God. And here they are in the wilderness and they are in Exodus chapter 17. And it's a twofold or two-part chapter. The first half, they've just come out of some blessings of God. He's brought them through a Red Sea. He changed the bitter waters to sweet at Marah. We find that he rained down on them manna. And it doesn't take them long 
until they find themselves in a wilderness. And here they are, and they're contending with Moses over the simple fact that they are going to die of thirst in the wilderness. Oh, if they could just open their eyes and see that he is the same God that took them through the Red Sea. He's the same God that poured down manna from heaven. He's the same God that Jehovah Rophika, the God that healed them. He's the same God that turned that bitter water into sweet. And now they're thinking that God could not even give them a little bit of water to quench their thirst. And I was challenged and as I began to read this again last night, the words that stood out to me was the simple fact that besides all that God has done for us, it's the simple fact that they brought to the man of God the simple phrase, is the Lord among us or not? Is he even here anymore? And then came Amalek. You see, they tempted the Lord. And when they began to say, hey, is he even among us? The next phrase is God brought Amalek into their midst. Why? Because they were going to go through something that they would understand that, yes, I am among you. And yes, I am your banner. And yes, I am the God that will deliver you. And so they began to see this enemy that attacks them in the wilderness. Notice how quickly this enemy, who is Amalek, wants to strike a death blow on the children of Israel. Right after they've been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. Right after they've had some of the great miracles that they would talk and rejoice about. Then the enemy comes in the middle of that wilderness and he wants to strike on them a death blow. They were not really prepared for a fight. Because they were fighting amongst themselves. And then came Amalek. They were fighting amongst themselves. And all of a sudden the enemy showed up and they had a fight on their hand. I was reminded of several years ago when my wife and I were driving late one night. And I looked over to the side and there was a couple that were standing out on their front lawn and they were fist fighting. And this man was punching his wife like a man would hit another man. And I got kind of angry about it. And usually I don't say much about stuff. But I, I, I got to pull up. And I just hit my lights on them like, hey, what's going on here? And they turned on me. So I just got, I just pulled away and left them. And they say that's the most dangerous thing to do is to get involved in the middle of someone's fight. They say a police officer doesn't want to get involved in the middle of a domestic quarrel because they may be fighting one another. But you step in the middle of that and they'll both turn on you. And here they were fighting one another. And they had to gather their resources. And they had to turn and began to fight the enemy. You see, nobody wants to fight in the ring to fight an opponent. And then get back to the corner and fight with the trainer back in the corner. You need somebody to work with you. Give me some water. Come on, give me a little towel so I can wipe the sweat off my brow. This is what this week is all about. Hey, we've been out there fighting in our churches to see a mighty revival. And here we are this week. And we're in the corner for a reprieve. We're getting something from the Lord. And he, we don't need to fight in the corner and fight in the ring. But we want God to touch us. We need someone to work with us. I was reminded. I was reminded of my neighbor. And my neighbor... His, he had two sons, and this one when I was growing up, and they were very rowdy boys, and they were always fighting one another, and they were always punching on one another, and finally the dad just got, he got fed up with it, and he said, okay, sons, come out here, and he put them out on the front lawn, and he said, now the two of you are going to fight until one of you is left standing, and he said, and then when it's all over, I'm going to give a whooping to the one that loses, and they had to go after it, 
and the one that lost got a whipping and they understood that it's not profitable to fight. Win or lose, you're still going to lose. And so I began to see that we are in a fight. And it reminds me of um, who was it? I don't know if it was Irma Bombeck or, or Ann Landers or who it was when they were saying never strike a child in anger. And somebody said, well, what better time than while you're angry? You want to wait until maybe you're at the Dairy Queen getting an ice cream cone and, and they're enjoying themselves and you remind them of what they did last night. Now that I'm calmed down, I'm going to ruin the scenario for everybody. And so we're fighting among ourselves. Oh, a good relationship can offset some of the effects of being broke and going through struggles. Sometimes you, you don't even realize how poor you really were when you were growing up because many of your parents, they didn't make you feel like you were poor and they made you feel like you had a lot. And it wasn't until later on in life that you look back and you said, hey, what? I didn't really have much back then, but I didn't know that I was poor. My dad told me of a time when, when his, his mother and father, for three months, all they had to eat was a big can of pinto beans and so every night he said his mother would come to the table and she would put a plate out and she would say now tonight your choice is steak or chicken and they would give it said what would you like and he said I'll take some steak and so she'd put a little steak and she would put some green beans and she would put some okra and she would put it all on his plate now it was all just pinto beans but he had to use his imagination and it wasn't until later on that they realized how poor they really were. He said he lived in a tar paper shack at a migrant workers camp. And it cost $5 a month to live there. While, and grandpa was out preaching. And he said he would preach for eggs, money, marble, chalk, whatever it was in those days. You, I mean, they just went and preached until they had a revival. I want you to know that God wants to do something in our midst. And if we have a unity amongst ourselves, if we have a love for one another, when you're down, I can pick you up. And when you're up, I can be inspired by you. And if you're walking alongside me, I can join hands with you and have revival with you. Because love can do what money can never do. Love can do what other things can never do. Love can do what situations can never do. You can... You can have candlelight and eat hot dogs and be happy. It doesn't have to be a steak dinner. I've learned to appreciate the simple things in life. You don't have, you don't have to have the nicest clothes. You don't have to have the nice, drive the nicest thing you can drive. But I want you to know that love's going to make the difference in your relationships. Having God at the forefront and loving your brother. I tell you, you can be in a pinto and the pinto be way too big when you're in love. Or you can be in a limousine and the limousine be way too small for you to get away from some person if you're not in love. I don't know about you, but I want God to do something in me that will cause me to go to a higher level. That will cause me to love my brother and learn from my brother and be a part of what God wants me to do. Something I felt like God's been dealing with me in this life is that his very highest standard is love. His banner over me is love. And when a church starts loving, they can have revival. You come into my church and I love you because God sent you there. And you may smell funny. You might look funny. But I love you because I know that you're a man or a woman that he died for. And so here we are in the wilderness. And they find that they've got an enemy 
enemy and they've got an enemy out there and they're trying to press through in their life and one thing that they've had to deal with is bitterness for Israel got rid of their bitterness at Marah in chapter number 15 they find that he was Jehovah Rophika he was the God that healed them and they got rid of that bitterness that bitter water it was made sweet at Marah but we find that Amalek still had his bitterness from Esau's fight with Jacob we find that Amalek, they were descendants of Esau. And so here they were looking at the descendants of Jacob. And they met in the wilderness. Now Amalek did not personally know Jacob. But he knew those descendants of Jacob. And what he stood for. They were descendants of the ones that stole the birthright. And so Amalek is there. They don't want them in their land. They don't want them around them. And they desire to deliver a crushing blow in the middle of the desert. They desire to deliver a crushing blow there as the children of God are headed to the promises of God. And all of a sudden the children of God have to right themselves from the things that they're fighting about. And they've got to now begin to face the enemy that they were not prepared to face. You see, Amalek wants to reduce. He wants to erase your faith. The, they came out of bondage. We find that he's there to eradicate and erase their faith. And us, we need to understand that when we get to Calvary, that many times on the other side of Calvary, there is an enemy that's waiting for us. I baptized so many people only to see them struggle and stumble the first week or two after they're baptized and born again. What is it? When you're born again, it doesn't erase all of your problems. When you're born again, it doesn't take away everything out of your life. You'll still have a fight with your wife. You'll still have a flat tire. You'll still have financial problems that you may have to face. But we're born again. And he renews something in us. And then we have things that we must fight for and fight through. The Hebrew word for enemy means those that show hostility or hatred towards me. It's even a spiritual thing. I can be hated. I can be hated by my enemies. And I can be hated by my neighbor. And because of the promise of God, somebody that I don't even really know can look at me and have hatred for me. Have you ever been around somebody, maybe on the job, and you just brush up against them, and you never spoke a word, but there was something in your spirit that didn't agree with their spirit? What was it? I tell you what, it's that spirit of Amalek that would like to destroy and stop what God is doing. But learn to step on past it and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I shall be an overcomer. I will be a conqueror. For well, the Bible said that you'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. Israel never would have, they never would have run into Amalek had they not been going in the right direction. They were going in the right direction and they ran into an enemy. One of the men that influenced my life and I worked under his ministry for a couple of years. This man told me several things that I never forgot. He told me little things that now I repeat to those that work with me. But he, he told me little things like, you can have the cleanest church in town, but you can have the emptiest church in town. Referring to paper, and, and we had kids just having a great time in the youth center, and, and, and somebody complained, and, and, and he taught me that. And so when I'd be over there on a Monday sweeping up the church, before I felt frustrated, I'd always think I could have the cleanest church in town, or I could have the emptiest church in town. And I'd... He taught, he, he taught me things like, Anthony, you can never build anything on anti. You got to be for stuff. 
You got to be for righteousness. You got to be for godliness. You got to be for holiness. You got to be for Jesus' name baptism. He told you, he said, whatever you build on anti will come down. But you must build your ministry. You must build your church. You must build the things that you do on Jesus because everything else is going to come down by and by. But if you build it on the rock, let the rains come and let the winds blow. But if it's built on a rock, it's going to stand. And this is the key that the children of Israel learned on that day. They learned that he is Jehovah Nisi. He is the Lord, our banner. When they would cry out and say, hey, is the Lord among us? Is he really here or not? Then we find that God orchestrated a situation. And God brought to pass something in their life that would show them, hey, if you keep me up above you, if you keep me in your focus, you will find that you shall be an overcomer. He's Jehovah Nisi. He is the Lord, my banner. A banner is a pole-like standard beneath which armies or communities are rallied. And when lifted up, it called the people together for battle. It called the people together for meeting or for instruction. And the suggestion is that the people would rally around God as an army gathers around its standard or banner. For it is God that will lead them to victory. It's not your weapons. It's not your warfare. It's not your cunning. But it's God that will lead you to victory. And God wanted to take a break for just a moment and say, Hey, children, I want to tell you, I'm the same God that delivered you up out of Egypt. I'm the same God that brought you through the Red Sea. I'm the same God that turned the bitter water sweet. I'm the same God that rained manna down from heaven. I am Jehovah Nisi. I am your banner. And so they were to raise up that banner. I'm reminded of a New Testament scripture which says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And I know that's referring to his crucifixion, that he would draw all men unto him if, we would, if, if he be lifted up. And so he was lifted up. And I find that in the processes of life, what changes is never Calvary. But many times we can change in our situation. Our eyes can be clouded by circumstance. Our eyes can be clouded by what we're going through. And sometimes we just have to stop. That's why this week is so powerful. Those of you that are in ministry, sometimes you got to stop for a week from just giving out and you got to receive for a while and say, hey, I got to make sure that Jesus is at the, I know I'm preaching, I know I'm teaching, I know I'm playing, I know I'm doing all of this, but I want to make sure that Jesus is lifted up and glorified in my life. And so there are two reactions that you can get when you go through the wilderness. You can get faithless like Ahaz did in Second Chronicles. Or you can get closer to God like Manasseh did in the very same book. Manasseh's name means causing to forget. And there are some times that you can, you can forget some things that happen in your life. I heard recently somebody said something negative, And we all have things that, that people say negative about us. And at first of all, I was angry. And I wanted to confront this person. And then second of all, I examined my life and said, I didn't do anything wrong. It's just a distraction. I'm going to let it go and leave it alone and go on and just do what God wants me to do. Sometimes you got to just forget little offenses. you got to forget things that people say. And you got to step on into what God has for you. God needs to call some of us to just forget and go on and have revival. When somebody... I feel like somebody, if you're going through something today, I want to just tell you that the battle doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. And the word said you'll not need to fight in this battle. 
but set yourself. Stand you still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. He's been with you all the time. You just didn't see him. He's with you. Set yourself. Stand you still. The problem is many of us are set and we're standing, but we don't realize that God is with us. And he said, oh, Judah and Jerusalem, fear not nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out with them for the Lord will be with you. This scripture had more meaning. A number of weeks ago, a mentor in my life just picked up the phone and called and said, hey, the battle's not yours, but the battle is God. What did it do? God was my God all the time, but he just wanted to refocus me and re-put me on the spot to say, hey, God is with you. And I could square my shoulders and step on into what God had for me because he is the God that is with me. He is my God. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. So a banner was a rallying point, a standard that identified who you were affiliated with. And the hand and the rod of Moses were held up just as soldiers who were accustomed to holding up their standards in the time of battle. And those standards would bear the arm or the identification of that country. And soldiers were said to fight under a banner. The banner gave direction and it was in defense of the government that they would fight for. This, the Israelites fought under the direction of God and in defense of his truth. And therefore his name became the name that they would lift up to him. They didn't know him as Jesus, but he was just Jehovah. He became Jehovah Nisi. He became the Lord who was their banner. He became the Lord that was the one they rallied up, up under and they began to fight the enemy. For Amalek has an army, but God has a name that's above every name. And you don't need an army when you've got God. And so God, he begins to challenge them. And Moses takes that rod and he lifts that up. And there are his brethren, Aaron and her on each side. And what are they doing? They're holding up his hands. His hands are getting heavy and they're holding up his hands. They're saying that your victory is my victory and my victory is your victory. And go ahead, Joshua, you and the choice men, fight the fight. We're behind you and we're going to keep lifting up the banner. I tell you what, you need somebody in your life that can lift up your arms in the middle of a battle. Somebody that will help you in the middle of a struggle and they'll bring about unity and they'll bring about a purpose that will bring you to victory in your life. Song of Solomon chapter 6 verse 10. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banner? I just came today to preach to somebody. I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, when you leave this camp meeting tomorrow night, you can tell the enemy, hey, when I get back in my church, for whether two or three are gathered together, I am there in the midst of them. You can say like the writer of Isaiah, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy cometh in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard or a banner against him. You can say the writer of Isaiah 54, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that riseth to thee against thee in judgment shalt thou condemn. And this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And the righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. 
I've come to this conclusion that the enemy will destroy me if I don't have God as my banner. I've come to this conclusion. I can't preach good enough. I can't play good enough. I can't administrate good enough. If God is not my banner, I don't want to fight this fight. And of all the things that I must overcome in this life, I can overcome them if God is my banner. And so everything, I must learn to give God praise. In every situation, I don't know what God is working out in me. It may be that you're going through a struggle, but God is working out something in you in the struggle. It may be that you're in a circumstance, but God is trying you and pressing on you so that you can come forth and be what he wants. Oh, I began to look at all of these. And this last few months, I've just been studying the different aspects of who Jehovah was to the children of Israel. He was their Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, their provider. Jehovah Mekadish, the Lord that sanctified them. He was to them Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, their peace. Jehovah Shammah, the God that was in the midst of them. Jehovah Rofika, the God that healed them. Jehovah Rohi, the, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Sikkanu, the Lord, thy righteousness. But all of those things are good. But when the enemy comes in my life, the enemy needs a banner that he could see. And I don't care what I, I don't care what you think today. I can't make it on my own. And I need to lift up the name of Jesus so high that the enemy can see, that the people around me can see, and that every now and then I would just have to step and stop back and look and say, Hey, he is my Jehovah Nisi. He is my banner. He is my God. Would you stand to your feet today? Hallelujah. Let's give the, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Psalm 60 and verse 4. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. Somebody told me Selah means just pause, reflect, and think about what I just said. Sometimes you got to stop and just say, mm-mm-mm, he's the Lord my banner. Raise your hand right now. You know what? You who are holding that hand up right now, he said, I've given you a banner because you fear me, that it may be displayed because of my truth. He's your Jehovah Nisi today. He is the Lord, your banner. And I don't care what you're going through. I want to tell you, I love you. God loves you. Lift the Savior up in your life and let the devil know he has no place here with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Put your hands together. Just thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.